It's one of my favorite songs, Bradley. I just love the message. Give me the Bible. There's so many people that want to tell you so many things about life and how you ought to live your life or how you ought not to live your life, about what you ought to be or what you not, what you ought not to be. Give me the Bible. Just give me the Bible. Because this is a book that's a special book. Most of us have a lot of Bibles, don't we? I mean, I probably, I probably have 20 Bibles. Every time, every time somebody said, well, i got a bunch of Bibles, I'll take them. And I wound up with more leather-bound Bibles and different people's names on them. If you need a Bible, you come see me. i got a lot of Bibles. But it's a special book. Because it's God's book. I'm holding within my hands the inspired Word of God. I'm holding within my hands a message that God speaks through. I remember when I went to church camp oh, probably about 14 years ago that one of the things that we talked about was, was every day letting God say something to you. How does He do that? Friends, He does it through this book. Let God speak into your life. Let Him speak into your life. He does that through His Word. This is a special, special book. But if you're anything like me, one of the easiest things to do is to take that for granted. Because we have so many. You can read your Bible anywhere you want. And for all the fuss that we have about where you can and can't take your Bible, you can take your Bible anywhere. Can't you? You can take your Bible anywhere. I'm not saying that, you, that, that your sermon's going to be appreciated everywhere. But you can take your Bible and read it almost anywhere that I know. At least in Savannah, Tennessee, I'm pretty sure that's, that, that, that's the case. But you know, it hasn't always been that way. Greg was showing me a book this morning about people who have suffered, been tortured, who have died throughout the centuries for their faith. I haven't read that book, but I know enough about the history of the church to know that most of those people who have suffered and been tortured and died has been directly related to this book. And whether or not they thought it was okay for people to have this book, and whether they could read from this book, and whether they could share this book. There was a time, there was a time when, when the religious elite or the, or the religious establishment said that this was a book that was just for trained professionals. This was just a book that was for the clergy. The people who had a special relationship with God. There was a time when the only Bible would have been the Bible that stayed in the pulpit. You wouldn't have a Bible in your home, Bradley, because the truth is you really can't understand the Bible. You can't handle the Bible. That sounds crazy to us, but that's the world that has existed for many, many years. It's not the world today. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that the most common member of the Lord's body can and has been some of the greatest students of God's Word. This is the Bible. I can't take it for granted. It is the book that I'm to turn to. It's to be the centerpiece of my life. It's the book that gives me the very Word and will of God. And, and isn't that what we're here for? 
Isn't that what we're here for? We're here to worship God. You're not here to see me. You're not here uh, to look at my face or to hear my voice. You're here to worship God. You're not here to see what songs is Bradley going to lead or what is he not. That We're here to worship God. Right? And, and, and when we lose that, that's when we start having our problems. Well, if we're really here to worship, if our life really is all about God and how I can seek Him and please Him, if what, if what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13 is true, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. To fear God and to keep His commandments. This is the whole of man. That's really what it's all about. It's not about how much money. It's not about how much pleasure. It's not about how much position. It's just about God. It's about me standing before my God and worshiping and praising and following and being a sacrifice unto Him. If that's really who we are, which I believe that's why we're here tonight, but this is an important book. This is the important book. Paul wrote to Timothy about the nature of Scripture. And he told him in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, he said, all Scripture is inspired by God. It comes from God. And I wish we had time tonight to go into some of the technicalities of it, but, but, but hopefully you understand what it is that he's saying there. This is not a book that I wrote. This is not a book that, 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 that some men wrote. This is not a book that some great men wrote. This is a book that God wrote. And the words that are, that, that are contained within the pages of this book are there because God wants them to be there. Because God placed them there. The things that are there are there because He placed them there. And the things that are not there are not there because He did not place them there on purpose. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Our Sunday school classes, our Wednesday night classes, what are they about? They're about this book. That's what they have to be about, right? To teach. You need to know. You don't need to know my, my, my secret to success. You need to know the Word of God. Profitable for teaching. Profitable for correction. What gives someone the right? What gives someone the right to sit down and with all the love in their heart say, you need to change the path you're walking on. Do I have that right? Do you have that right? Do the leaders of this church have that right? Does, does your neighbor have that right? Does your wife? No, they only in as far as the Word of God speaks to those things. That's the only thing that gives anyone the right. What does the Word of God say? It is profitable for training in righteousness. I want to look like Christ. The Hebrew writer said what is so significant about Christ is that He is the perfect representation of the Father. If you have seen Me, you have seen Him, Jesus would say. How do I, how do I understand that? How do I come to that? That's what, this book, that's what this book is for. If I want to understand what a Christian looks like, we have a world that is filled with people who are ready to tell you what a Christian looks like. What does the Word of God say? What does the Bible say? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's my favorite part of, of that passage of what he says to Timothy. The purpose of Scripture, the purpose of the inspiration of Scripture is so that 
the things that God wants you to know, you will have. The purpose of Scripture is to equip you for the things that God wants you to be, to do, to see, to know. If there is an expectation that God has upon you, that's why He sent Scripture. We will not get to the judgment day and have God ask us a question and we'll stand there and say, well, I had no way of knowing that. You ever have that happen? I remember, maybe rightfully so or not, but I remember making that accusation against, against a few teachers that I had in high school and in college that they put stuff on the test and they're like, you never told me. It's not going to happen with God. Because what God expects, that's why we have this book. That's why God breathed this book to equip us for every good work. And Paul would argue, and Peter would argue, that we and they lack nothing. There is nothing that we need to know that is not, that is, that is not contained within the pages of this book. We speak about the silence of the Scriptures, and so many times people struggle with, with the idea of the silence of the Scriptures. All that is is a commentary upon the authority of the Scriptures. God spoke, and God spoke purposefully. Phil Sanders once said, Let us remember that when we speak of the silence of the Scriptures, that it is a silence that follows a complete and a final revelation. And God has said all He wills to say and has purposefully hushed. What we see within the pages of God's Word is not there by accident. It's not just a part of the picture. It's all of the picture. It's everything that God wants me to know. And at some point, we must decide whether or not we're going to accept that. Whether or not we really believe that within the pages of this book there is nothing that we lack. As the book of Revelation closes, you, you, remember, you, you remember what... What Jesus said, as He, I think fittingly, as it finds its way into the, its place in the canon, when He says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, then God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, then God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. What's He saying? This book is exactly what God wants it to be on purpose. He says, don't you dare take away from it. Don't you dare open up to something in this book and say, well, we're just not going to focus on that. Don't you? But at the same time, He says, don't you dare open up this book and say, I think we need to add something to this. Let me go back to uh, the, the Reformation movement and, and Martin Luther as he nailed his 95 theses on, on, on the church door. And maybe you know a little bit about that. But, but this, this is the struggle. As Luther found himself in, in a, a world where Catholicism ruled the day, and very un similar, but not really like Catholicism is today. But, but, but that plea of sola scripture. The Scripture alone. Why are we doing all the things that we're doing? Where does this idea of, of a Pope come from? It's not in the Bible. 
Luther went went to Rome and he found people who were who were giving penance and and they would and they would crawl from from one from one point in in, in Rome all the way up the, the stairs to, until they were bloody. Why? Because that they had been told this is a way that you earn your way into heaven. Where does that come from? The worship of relics where people would have, they would set a piece of the cross or somebody's or, 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 or James's teeth or, or somebody's cloak or, and all, all of these things that, that, that were marked. Where, where does that come? It's not in this book. Finally, we know about uh, religious uh, indulgences and, and the, the false ideas of purgatory, but it's not in this book. And he said, why don't we just go back to the Bible? Why don't we abandon all of the things that have been added to the Word of God? And why don't we just be Christians? That was really the plea as he wanted to reform the Catholic Church. That idea of just taking the Bible, it's the key. It's the key today to to New Testament Christianity. In In the world of religious confusion, let's just go to the Bible. Let's just go back to that idea that the Bible only makes Christians only. And if that's controversial, I, I don't understand why. I know it is to some folks, but, but all, all of that is a plea that says, let's just go back to the Bible because God has placed within the Bible something that He wants us to know, something that we can know. I say all of that simply to say, this book is important. This book and how we see this book is foundational in regards to everything that we will be as a church, as a family, as an individual? How do I approach the Scriptures? Do I have reverence for the Scriptures? Are they at the centerpiece of my life? A movement that is not new, it's actually very old, but, but a great deal of prominence with, within our culture and within our society sometimes is talked about as, as mysticism. And, and you may not have heard much about mysticism, but I guarantee whenever we start to describe it that you've experienced mysticism. Mysticism is defined by one individual as those forms of Christian spirituality which attempt direct or unmediated access to God. Mystics are those who expect to experience a direct inner realization of the divine and an unmediated link to the absolute. What does that mean? Mysticism is an idea that there's something beyond this book. That there's something beyond the revelation of God. And that at some point, God is going to reveal these things to me. And it, like I said, it's manifested itself in many different times, in many different places, in many different ways. But in a nutshell, it's those who would go beyond the Word of God and say, God has given me something special all the way back to the second century where they dealt with Gnosticism, where people said, well, I have a special knowledge, Gnosis meaning knowledge. I have something special because God's given me something special. God has revealed to me. God has shown me. At the heart of mysticism is the, 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 the primacy of experience over Scripture. I am what I am and I stand for what I stand for because in some way God has revealed these things to me no matter what the Bible says. 
you engage in, a, in much religious discussion and you'll find yourself uh, either um, waiting in that or maybe over your head in that mentality. This is what I've experienced. In one sense, it is difficult to think of an example of an encounter with God for which there is nothing remotely similar in the Bible. But yet in another sense, mankind seems to have an unlimited capacity to invent ways to, quote-unquote, get in touch with God. And all these have in common the presumption of the ability to experience God apart from the forms He has selected and or the presumption of the ability to experience Him immediately. That is, unmediated by God's ordained means of revealing Himself to us. Let's go outside of the Bible. Let's go to my experience. Yes, the Bible is important, but you need to experience God to really know God and to really know His will. What it leads to is a subjective religion. It leads to a religion that cannot be taught. It, it really can't be discussed. It certainly can't, can't be taken to the lost. There's no way to verify these things. As a matter of fact, I can count at least three or four major world religions of loosely talking about Christianity that find their basis in this idea. Yes, the Word of God is important, but God has revealed these things to me. And a branch went here and a branch went there. But that's not really... I'm talking about more tonight in our own personal lives. Yes, the Bible says this, but, but God has shown me these things. God has revealed these things to me. Isn't it strange? Isn't it strange that those who talk so much about what God has revealed to them seem to speak so little about what God has revealed to others? I mean, if He really does work in that way, don't you find that a little bit odd? Isn't it strange that, that those who talk so much about what God has revealed to them speak so little about what He has revealed to others? Friends, this is the Word of God. This is the authority. This is the book that we must turn to. Don't take away from it, but He says don't add to it either. This is the book that contains the things that God wants us to know that will equip us for every good work. Now, as we might think about the idea of mysticism and think, well, that kind of sounds like this new age thing. And, you know, when you walk in those shops at the mall and they're burning incense and, and you know, these crazy out there things. I, 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 want, I want to show us how closely this probably hits. Much closer than, than we probably realize that this mentality that God is going to speak, speak to us beyond His Word, how close it hits to us. Okay? I'm a little bit nervous about this because I'm going to probably hit a lot of people. But I want you to know that what I'm saying, I'm going to talk about a book. I'm not saying it's sinful to have this book. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of people have gotten a lot of good out of this book. My wife has this book. My mother and my grandmother have this book. But if we're going to use it, we need to understand exactly what it is. Jesus Calling. I want to ask you to raise your hands. A lot of people have that book, right? I already said it. Most of the people in my family have it. Actually, I got the office copy of Jesus Calling, right? This is the Savannah Church of Christ office copy of Jesus Calling. 
And it's a devotional book, right? Where we have, we have messages written from the perspective of God to us, and there's a lot of comfort that can be found in those things. And that's how it's generally used. But that's not the intention here. What we don't read is the preface. See, the history, and if you have a new version, it probably doesn't have this in here, but if it's a fairly got a few years on it, you, you, you can read all about it in the preface. The history of this book goes all the way back to 1932. And there was a book called God Calling. And the author of this book, Sarah Young, was, she, she writes, she says, I was heavily influenced by this book, God Calling. She says, it was during that same year that I began to read God Calling, a devotional book written by two anonymous listeners. And these women practice waiting patiently in God's presence, pencils and paper in hand, recording the messages that they received from Him. And she said that, that book had a lot of influence on me. Now, God, no, nobody's ever heard of God calling. Nobody, ever had, nobody has that in the library, I don't think. But the reason that it, she brings it up is because she says this had a great influence on me. Then she says that the following year, I began to wonder if I too could receive messages during my times of communing with God. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible. But I yearned for something more. So she says, I decided to listen to God with pen in hand writing down whatever I believed He was saying. I felt awkward the first time I tried this, but, but I received a message. It was short, biblical, and appropriate. And it addressed topics that were current in my life. And so I responded by writing it in my prayer journal. What is it? I mean, it's mysticism. It's someone who's saying, I got a message from God, and that's what I wrote down. If you're going to use the book, you need to understand that. Right? That, that's what she writes in the preface. Think tonight if I stood before you and I said, God has given me a message. And we're going to put this book up. Alright? We're going to put this book up and I'm just going to tell you what it is that God's revealed to me. That's essentially, I, I want us to see how closely that, that hits to, to so many of our homes. Get a lot of comfort out of this book. Use it as a devotional, in a, as, a, as a strong devotional tool. But friends, it's not a replacement for the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Give me the Bible. Give me God's Word. Another, another thing that I've gotten a lot of questions, uh, probably four or five of you have asked me about this. The, the, the practice of, of something known as Lecto Divina. And I don't know how many, how many of you have heard of this, but most of the time when we hear about this, we say, what, what is that? Okay? Because most people don't know, but it's actually a very old practice. It's, it's a Catholic devotional technique, but in recent years, especially in the last 20 or 30 years, it, it's gained a lot of, a lot of mm, attention. People have been pulling back towards these things because, from a good thing, I want to know God more. I want to know more about His Word. Now, it can mean something very innocent and good, or it can mean something very disturbing and very mystic. And the truth is, you're going to have to ask the person who's, who's talking about these things to know which one. All that it means is divine reading. 
Okay? All that it really means is reading your Bible. Always a good thing, right? I can't think of a situation where that becomes a bad thing. And it's a theory that's built around four basic steps. But to say, if you really want to know God's Word, well, what you need to do is you start by reading. Public proclamation. Or private proclamation. You just sit down and you open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 22 and you read it. And then after you finish reading it, you meditate on it. You meditate upon God's Word. What was he saying there? And how does this relate to this? And what about the structure there? And you're giving this deep thought. Is that a good thing? Right? That's a, that's a biblical thing, right? We, we, need, we need more of that. And after you have meditated upon it, you need to go and you need to pray about those things. Let's pray about the things that we have just read. Let's pray about these things as they relate to our lives and to the lives of others. That's, a, that's again, a great thing, right? And then finally, the fourth step is that of contemplation. And, and here's the key. Here, here, here's where it becomes a really bad thing or it's a very innocent thing. Is contemplation good? In my mind, contemplation is, is right. It's that struggle. I'm going to read it. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to pray on it, and then I'm going to walk away. And I'm, I'm just going to wrestle with it. I'm going to struggle with it. Right? This is going to be a part of a part of my life. And and, and some of you, you you leave you leave your Bible classes on, on Sunday morning, and and there's that verse, and it's in your mind, and you're thinking about it all week, and and then you know, in the middle of the week or a month later, it just comes to you. That, I get it, right? Is, is that a good? That's a good thing. So if that's what you mean by lecto divina, then it is a very good thing. All, it, all that is is Bible study, right? In its traditional form, that's not what contemplation means. We use contemplation in that way, but if you go back into its original, go and pick up a book on lecto divina and depending on what book you get, it'll say different things. But most of the books that, you, that you'll get, I've read probably three books on, Le, on Lecto Divina. It is strange. It is very new age because contemplation, that's not something that you do. That's something that God does to you. That's something that God reveals to you. That's mysticism. That's that going beyond that I will read and I will meditate and I will pray and then God will reveal to me things that otherwise He wouldn't have revealed. Friends, you lack nothing in this book. That's the purpose of the Scriptures. So, I guess those who have asked the question about that, I gave you a 30 second or a two minute explanation of it. If you're worried about it, ask someone. What do you mean by those things? All of those things are good, right? Could they mean something bad? Yeah, they, they, they can. And in my personal opinion, most of the time when people, when people talk about Lecto Divina, either, either they're involved in something that they ought not be involved in, or most of the time they simply don't know what it is that they're associating themselves with. The Word of God is such that we ought to be able to take anything that is said or that is proclaimed or that is read and not to be able to examine those things. I am never dependent upon simply what God has revealed to you. And you are never dependent simply upon what God has revealed to me. 
Wes Hazel is not your ultimate source. God is the ultimate source. John said in 1 John 4 and verse, verse 1, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see where they are from God. Why? Well, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are false teachers in the world. Those that we read about in, in Acts chapter 17 in Thessalonica, you remember? They were more fair-minded, more noble-minded because they received the Word of God with eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Look it up. If somebody, if somebody says, this, this is a revealed truth, but you can't find this in your Bible, don't listen to that person. Why should I listen to that person? If somebody says, this is, the, this is the truth revealed through the Word of God, that's when every one of us ought to take a step back and say, I need to, I need to think about that. I need to examine those things. I need to meditate upon those things. What does the Bible say? That is always the appropriate question. Most of the time, that's the needed question. Especially in our, in our religious world where everybody has an opinion about everything. Your opinion's fine, but i got opinions too. What does the Bible say? Not just what do I want it to say or what do I think... What does it say? Book, chapter, and verse is not old-fashioned. It's godly. It, it, it fulfills the very purpose of receiving this book so that I can know God's Word and I can seek out God's Word. Not to pick and choose, not to say, well, well, I'm a big fan of Jesus, or I'm a big fan of Paul, or, or I, 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 I like to read from James, or I like to read from Romans. It's, it's all God's Word. What did Paul say? I, I love what Paul said about, about, what, about what he said. Sometimes we make this crazy distinction between Paul and Jesus and James. Stop! It comes from God, he says. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1-2, through 2, He says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superior speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. How should you take what I say? As if God said it. What is that? For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See? All there in one little sentence. Paul and God and Jesus. They're not separate categories. They're all the same. All within the pages of this book. All within the context of the New Testament. And some, some will struggle with this idea. And I say, you just... You, 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 you make too big a deal about that book. You make too big a deal over those words. It's almost like you worship the Bible. Yeah, we do. We ought to worship the Word of God. Why? Because we worship Jesus. Isn't that what John said in John 1 and verse 1? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Who is Jesus? Can we make too big a deal over who Jesus is? Everybody shake your head like this. Friends, Jesus is the Word. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. Pay attention to Him. Give honor to Him. Friends, if Jesus is the Word, would it be fair to say that a casual relationship with this book 
reflects a casual relationship with the Son of God? Isn't that reasonable? If I want to say, if I want to say that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my, in my life, and, and that ought to be what we all say, right? I mean, that, that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Then one of the things that goes along with that is reverence and respect and attention to His Word. I can't separate those two things. I can't have Jesus without His Word. Jesus is defined by His Word. Jesus is the Word. And that changes our lives. I want to grow and I want to mature. I want to become the man that God wants me to be. I'm not going to find that by some supernatural revelation. I'm not going to find that by simply sitting here and saying, God, I just wish that You would show something to me or speak to me. And God is saying, I've already spoken to you. Listen to the words that I've said. Listen to the things that I've revealed. Those words that Paul wrote in Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The purpose of everything that we've said tonight is to get to this point. It is to elevate this book in our minds. To help us understand this is not just another book. This is a book that is worthy of our attention. Because it is the basis of how we grow in our faith. Whether that means that I sit down and I read a chapter or two every day, or it means that I, 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 listen, to, I listen to the Word. There was a lady named R.T. who used to live in Manchester, and she was blind. And she had the Bible on CD. And every day she would listen to the Bible. She knew her Bible better than most preachers that, that, that I know. Why? Just exposure. That's all that it was. Just use. Maybe I listen to it. Maybe I, maybe I listen to people proclaim about it. Spend time in the Word of God. Give me the Bible. That's, that's really at the basis of our Christianity. If, if we lose that, if we lose that foundation, then everything else begins to spiral out of control, out of control because I have no basis. I have no authority. I have nothing to go back on. I have no right to get up here and tell you anything if I, if I don't have the Word of God. I might as well sit down. And some of you said you're almost out of time, so go sit down anyways. But, but I want you to get the point. It's about the Word of God. Elevate it in your life. Give honor to the very Son of God by giving attention to His Word. He's trying to tell us something. If we will listen. He's not holding things back. He's not saying, you know, there are certain things and I only give those things to certain people. It's right there for everyone. For us to read, for us to enjoy, for us to meditate, for us to be challenged by, for us to grow thereby. You spend time in the Word as God intended, it will change your life. It will change your family. It will change this church. It will change this world. And it's the only thing that has the power to do that. The Word of God. Honor it. Respect it. Give attention to it. I would call on you tonight. And if you're here, if you're here and you've, and you've never been baptized into Christ, I would call on you to do something that seems a little bit crazy. I would call on you to come and to be immersed into Christ. 
Why in the world would you bother to come out here in front of all these people and dunk yourself under underwater? Simply because of the Bible. Because the Bible says in Acts 22.16 that it is in that baptism that we wash away our sins. Why would you even believe in sin in the first place? Because the Bible says that sin is real and that sin separates us from God. If you're here tonight and, you're, and you, sin is ruling your life, I would tell you that you're not alone. How do I know that? How can I speak for people who aren't, who aren't me? Because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? The Apostle Paul himself talked about those struggles. All of the disciples, the apostles, the pillars of the church, they had those struggles. The Bible says that we can come. We can come in Hebrews chapter 10 to a God who will remember our sins no more. That is a bold statement. That is a very bold statement. But it's the statement of the Word of God. Therefore, preach it, proclaim it, share it. The death, the burial, the resurrection. Preach it, proclaim it. It is the Word of God. It is the message that has the potential to revolutionize this world. So many things. So many people. So many ways. Jesus says, come and follow me. Give attention to His Word. Why don't you come tonight as we stand and as we sing. Thank you.